Well, let me invite you to take your Bible this morning and find the book of Ephesians in chapter number five, the letter to the Ephesians chapter number five. I don't know if you had much interest or if you had opportunity or if you even cared to watch the Grammys last Sunday evening, but there was something that occurred that I believe taught us something very important about our modern culture. The winners for the best pop duo, Sam Smith, Kim Petras, performed. Sam Smith and Kim Petras, with both, both of them were born biological males. Neither of them identify as, as males. Sam Smith identifies as non-binary, Kim Petras as a transgender female. But it was in their performance in which they intended, it was their very aim to communicate a message. And because we do have children in the room and children watching, I won't describe for you in detail, but I will say to you that the message was clear. All of the dancers, all of the colors, it was all about the color red and flames. In fact, really within just a matter of moments, you begin to think that, you know, this, this may be a depiction of hell. And if there was any question, if there were any doubt, it was when Sam Smith donned a hat, a red hat with horns. In fact, really since Sunday night, no one has debated, no one has argued that it wasn't a depiction of Satan worship. It was the performance, a message of the worship of Satan. What you and I are hearing about, in fact, it's been interesting that since Sunday night and even Sunday night, there was not one mention, not one note by the mainstream media. In fact, the only concern was by a handful of conservatives, evangelicals. But the reason I just simply share with you what happened last Sunday evening is that this is but just another example of the very aggressive, progressive, woke culture and worldview that is permeating our nation, our culture, and even sipping into, seeping into the American church. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we're to be aware, that we're to be alert, that we're to be wise concerning the times in which we live. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, Paul is writing to the church, and if you would stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, Paul writes, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days, these days, are evil. 
May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Woke. Over the last couple of years, we've heard the term again and again and again repeated. In fact, as I begin to hear the term, and know that even as you and I read the scriptures this morning, we're actually told in scripture, hey, we ought to wake up. We need to be awake. And so I began to question, maybe as you question, hey, am I woke? Do I, do I, do I need to be woke? Does our, does our church need to be woke? What does woke even mean? Well, it just takes a very simple Google search. And as you Google Woke, you come to Merriam-Webster who defines the word woke as a slang term, meaning being aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. And as I read that def- definition, I may be as, as you, is that I think, you know, well, the, the gospel clearly teaches that any form, any, any indication of, of racism is, is wrong, it is evil, it's a sin. And certainly as far as the gospel, as far as a Christian, I am anti-racism. And d- does racism occur? Is it around us? Absolutely. But it is wrong. It is evil. And we as Christians should stand against it. And regarding social justice, hey, love where you live. I'm all about social justice. And so the first initial answer is, yeah, I want to be woke. Not so fast. Because as you begin to dive a bit deeper into the philosophies, the ideology of wokeism, you learn that its roots are in paganism, in reductionism, that this philosophy that's invading our nation and even creeping into the church. It's in fact anti-Bible. It's not just another gospel, but it is anti-gospel. It sets itself up against everything that we believe as biblical Christians. Over the last several months, in seeing and observing what is happening in our nation, in our culture, even in the church, even among Christians. I began to read as much as I could read about this philosophy, about this ideology. And so after reading so many different seminary professors and and Christian apologists and Christian sociologists, I, 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 have a, I, have a, I have a working definition of what, what wokeism is. Wokeism. Wokeism is an authoritarian worldview. Authoritarian. In other words, if you want to be on the right side of history, this is what you believe. In fact, to be right, this is your worldview. An authoritarian worldview that seeks to deconstruct the fundamentals of the Christian faith by overwhelming and overpowering 
those who do not adhere to its ideology. In other words, if you don't agree, if you don't succumb, we will just cancel you or silence you and you have no voice. In fact, really what you speak of anything contrary would in fact be hate speech. What we're seeing in these days are Christians who mean well, Christians who want to, who want to be loving, Christians who want to be sympathetic, Christians who want to be compassionate, and yet they're surrendering, they're succumbing to these philosophies and these ideologies that are just quite simply contrary to the gospel. And because the Bible warns, the Bible says, we must be aware of the strategies and the deceptions of the enemy. And what I'm proposing to you this morning and over the next couple of weeks, for you to understand that for 2,000 years, there's been philosophies. There's been a satanic strategy to come against the church, to go against the gospel. But this, this, is pervasive and invasive and infiltrating the church. So what does it look like? What does it look like in the church? What are some of the indicators? What are, what are some of the, the signs that, that this philosophy is making its way into the church and even in Christians' lives? So this morning for the time that we have, I wanna give you five indicators for your eyes to be open, for you to be, watch this, awake to the woke. Number one, there's an emphasis. The emphasis on the love of God over the holiness of God. In this particular worldview, there is an emphasis on the love of God over the holiness of God. And you would hear again and again, well, it's okay and you be you, and I'll be me, and you can do whatever you want because God is love. And by the way, God is love, and God loves you with a love that your mind can't even comprehend. Yes, you matter. Yes, God is love. And yes, we must teach and preach as a church and as Christians that yes, God is love. But did you know that in the Bible, the Bible speaks more of the holiness of God than it does even the love of God? As a matter of fact, it is the holiness of God that distinguishes God as God. That God would cease to be God if God ceased to be holy, if God ceased to be righteous. Write this in your notes, Hebrews in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. God himself said, I am holy. And for you, be holy, for I am holy. Holiness. Holiness means Separation. It means to be set apart. As Christ followers, yes, we understand the love of God. 
the grace of God, the mercy of God, but we also understand that God is holy and God is righteous, and because of his holiness and his righteousness, he must judge sin. He must punish sin. He must call what is sin, sin. If he doesn't, he ceases to be holy. So for the church and for Christians, there is the balance that we teach and preach, yes, the love of God, but also the holiness of God. And as a Christian, as a Christ follower, recognize and acknowledge the love of God, and yes, he loves you, but be holy. Be set apart. Forsake sin. Repent. And walk in holiness, because he is holy. But in this ideology, in this, this woke culture that's seeping into the church, there's the emphasis on the love of God over the holiness of God. And number two, there's the emphasis on an offensive free environment. An offensive free environment. Really the ideal is for us to have a nation in which we just don't offend someone else. In fact, let's, let's adjust titles. Let's adjust how we refer to one another. Let's adjust anything and everything that we can. Let's make every type of adjustment so that we don't offend. Oh, I am so sorry. Did I offend you? Pastor, I brought a neighbor to church but she said she's not coming back because there was something that you said that offended her. The emphasis in this modern culture is to create in the workplace, create at the ballpark, create even in the context of church an offensive free environment. Here is the problem. Here is the problem. The gospel is offensive. The gospel of Jesus Christ, you may not know that, but the gospel itself is offensive. And I know we want to say in this woke culture, hey, you're okay, I'm okay. But the gospel says, no, you're not okay. The gospel is offensive and that, guess what? You are a sinner in need of a savior. You are not okay. You are dead in your sins. And you are destined to live forever, separated from the loving and living God, if you don't turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ. See, the word gospel means good news. But guess what? The gospel is not good news until you actually first hear the bad news. And the bad news is you're a sinner in need of a savior. In fact, the Bible tells us this about the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions. We have on a regular basis people who leave Cottage Hill. And they would much rather go to a church or watch some preacher on television that would soothe their itching ears to tell them what they want to hear 
so that they're not offended, so their feelings aren't hurt. And the truth is, the gospel is offensive. We do have a philosophy. If you've been around here at Cottage Hill for any length of time, we have a particular philosophy here when it comes to you being comfortable. At Cottage Hill, we really seek to be uncomfortably comfortable. We want you to be comfortable in who you are as a child of God. We want you to be comfortable, born again, child of God, but uncomfortable as you allow him to mold you and shape you into his image. We will be offensive here at Cottage Hill. You will at times be uncomfortably comfortable. This, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this environment of being non-offensive, we hear things like this, don't judge, don't judge me. Who, who are you, who are you Christian? To judge. You know what? You know what the Bible says? Judge not. Here's the problem. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we told that it's wrong not to point out sin. Nowhere are we told that we are not to point out sin. God points out sin. Jesus points out sin. The apostle Paul points out sin. Listen, Matthew 18 says, listen, if you have offended a brother or a brother of his family, you go to them and you point out the offense. You point out the sin. But the culture today, this ideology, there's an emphasis on offensive free environment, even in the church. Number three, there's an emphasis on streamlining heaven and air conditioning hell. I wish I could take credit for that statement, but my seminary professor, Roy Fish, for a number of years preached here even at Cottage Hill. He, he I believe, coined the phrase. Streamlining heaven, air conditioning hell. We're living in a time, we're living in a culture in which the Liberal Christianity, the progressive Christianity, churches today are streamlining heaven. And all of the talk, all of the emphasis on heaven. As a matter of fact, over 90% of Americans believe in heaven. The vast majority of, of Americans believe they will go to heaven. Why? It's a sign, it's a source, it's a form of universalism. We just, listen, if you're good, if you're a good person, if you're sincere, because God is a loving God, you will one day go to heaven. And my dear uncle, my dear aunt, my dear sister, they're now angels in heaven watching over me because everybody goes to heaven. We do need to preach and teach on heaven. As a matter of fact, one of the most popular sermon series that I've taught here was last year I did a series on heaven. But the Bible says that as Christians and as churches, we are to communicate the whole counsel of God. So just as we teach and preach on heaven, we must teach and preach on hell. And just as heaven is a reality, hell is a reality. 
The Bible says this in Matthew's gospel. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus actually spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. You know, as I get older, I think more about heaven. I have more friends. I have more family members that are in heaven. I I give more thought these days about heaven. I also give more thought about hell. Because just as heaven is a reality, so is heaven. Hell, Jesus told the story about a a rich man who went to hell. And Jesus described it as a place of great suffering, a place of great pain, a great loneliness, a place in which you remember. For all of eternity, you remember every gospel message, every gospel song, every invitation to a church, every opportunity to come to faith in God. I'm still asked, Pastor, why do we give hundreds of thousands of dollars away every year to missionaries, mission partnerships? Why is it this love where you live and this, the sharing of the gospel. We spend so much money. We have, we have buildings that are 50 and 60 years old. We have carpet that needs to be replaced. We have so much that needs to be done. And yet every year, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why? Why the priority? Why the emphasis? Why so much talk about baptism? Let me ask you this simple question. Is there a hell? Is there a hell? Is there a hell? If there is a hell, then we must proclaim it. We must warn. We must say, unless you turn from your sin, unless you repent, unless you yield and surrender and trust Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, with your soul, you will spend forever in a very real place called hell. Hell was not created for people, but for the devil, but for demons. And for those who live their life apart from God will live all of eternity apart from God in this place called hell. There's a fourth, and there is this emphasis on your potential over your depravity. In this wokeism culture, that is the emphasis. Oh, you have so much potential. You have a dynamic destiny. And all you need to do is claim it. All you need to do is be the 
Be the master of your ship. You determine your destiny. And yes, by the way, there is, for every single one of us, there is a potential. God has a plan and God has a purpose, but here is the difference. Your potential is not based on you. You will never experience your full potential in your own power, in your own strength, under your own domain. But it is only, only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and your surrender to him and his plan and his purpose and his will can you ever know the dynamic destiny that God has for you. But oh, the philosophy today, the potential. The potential that you have in you. Can I tell you the potential that you have in you? Your best, on your best day, is but filthy, dirty rags. The Bible says this in the book of Romans, in chapter three, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Your best is nothing. It is only through Christ. It is only through Christ. What's the key? The key is surrender. The the key is obedience. The key is yielding to him. Hey, is there potential? Absolutely. But isn't this interesting in which the Lord Jesus himself said, hey, do you want to know how to fulfill your purpose? Watch this. Take up your cross daily. Die daily. Suffer daily. Does God have a plan? Does God have a destiny for you? Absolutely incredible. But as you yield and as you surrender and as you travel that journey, watch this, there will be trouble. There will be difficulty. There will be trials. There will be times in which you will stumble. There will be times in which you will break down. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've discovered this in your life, I have in mine, that God actually at times in my life, he brings the breakdown. He brings into my life a breakdown so that he can bring the breakthrough. But it's not easy. Lastly, there is the emphasis on feelings over facts. Here is the mantra of this ideology regarding liberal Christianity, progressive Christianity. God wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. The reason I'm making this decision, the reason I'm choosing this lifestyle, the reason I'm doing these things in my life is because it makes me happy. And I know that God, who is the God of love, God wants me to be happy. Here's the problem. Nowhere does it say that. Nowhere does it say that God wants you to be happy. 
As a matter of fact, when it comes to your happiness, your happiness is based on your feelings. And guess what about your feelings? They change all the time. Your feelings fluctuate. You may feel one way today. Tomorrow, you may feel a completely different way. There are times that I don't feel like a Christian. There are times that I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't base my faith. I don't base my salvation. I don't base my life based on how I feel, but I base them on the facts that God gives in his word. Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart, your feelings, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Don't be so dependent upon your feelings. But base your life, plant your life and your future on his word, the facts. Feelings come and go. Feelings fluctuate. God is not so much interested in your happiness as he is your holiness. God does want you to experience his joy and his peace and his strength. Happiness comes and goes. His joy placed in you daily. How? Surrender. Obedience. Some of you need to step through the doorway of obedience. There is a culture, there is an ideology that is sweeping across our nation, seeping into the church affecting the American church. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. What is the ultimate answer? It's for every child of God, every Christian to have, watch this, a biblical worldview. We'll dive into that deeply next Sunday. And then week after next, moms, dads, we're going to talk about your children and how to How do we in this culture, when it's so pervasive in corporations, in sports, in every area of our life, how do we teach and prepare our children and strengthen them to believe and trust in the facts and not be swayed by the winds of paganism and reductionism and wokeism. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I want to pray for us. For some, you've heard the message of the gospel today and you need to turn from your sin and your selfishness and you need to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. For others, there's something in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord. Hey, for some, you know Jesus is Savior. 
but you don't know Jesus as Lord. And he doesn't know you. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer, and after I pray, we're going to stand together. We're going to worship together. For those of you that are watching online, I just want to encourage you to text the word found that we may communicate with you and share with you and encourage you. For those in this room, the invitation as these pastors come and stand here at the front, we'd love to pray with you, love to encourage you. We would love to help you take that next step of obedience, whatever that may be. The altar is open for you to come and kneel and pray. For some of you, you have children, you have family members that have been swept up in this modern culture and they've been deceived. Pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. Heavenly Father, in these next moments, find us obedient, find us courageous. Hear us as we pray. Hear us as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. The altar is open. These pastors are here. You come, you come.